Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the BitCast. It's me, the host, the Axeman, better known as Alex. And today I have a special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Anthony. And who are you, Anthony? I'm your brother. Okay, I, I guess I'll accept that. I guess you're my brother. So, even though I've had a lot of talk about different Zelda games in past episodes of the podcast, and I seem to have been a little negative in a lot of these talks, I decided to bring my brother in, someone who is very much in disagreement with me over Breath of the Wild, and we're going to talk about that game in particular. I'm going to kind of reiterate what some of my points of contention were, and he's going to defend it a little more. Anthony, are you ready to get started? Yes, I am. Thank you. All right. So to begin with, I feel like Breath of the Wild, my overall complaint with it is that it's not very much of a Zelda game other than maybe Zelda 1. It feels like it's more of an open world game in 2017, but with a few like Zelda coats of paint on it to make you think it's a Zelda game. And even though I legitimately like parts of Breath of the Wild... I wouldn't call it a real good Zelda game. I've said in a past episode that I think Hyrule Warriors is more of a Zelda game than this one is. To begin with, I feel like it takes the realism too far. In this series where you have magic that you can swat away with your sword and teleportation and everything, they try to go too far. Like, when you have the horses, you have to wrangle a wild horse, and then you have to take care of the horse, and you gotta make sure that the horse likes you enough, otherwise it won't obey your controls as much. And I feel like at that point, I might as well just go out and get a real horse if I'm gonna have to put that much effort into taming a fictional horse. (laughs) And then there's the cooking system, where while I applaud the idea of the cooking system... I feel like it's a little too open-ended, and then you can easily shoot yourself in the foot because you don't know all the different recipes, and you gotta keep track of which ones do what, and it's easy to kind of over- or undercompensate with the different ingredients. And then there's the weather, which is, again, something that I like in theory, but in practice, it just makes it kind of annoying because you just gotta go around and keep track of your different foods and outfits, and in some cases I found that even with the heated foods and the heated outfits or the coolant foods and stuff, you're still taking damage from the extreme weather. And all of this is very realistic, which is fine in moderation, but when I play a video game, I just want to have fun in the fictional world. I don't want to actually know what it's like to be in the desert or to tame a horse or to be in the kitchen. You're bringing up a lot of points here right right off the bat. (laughs) I'm worried about not answering one of those, and then you cling to that. Like, oh, he didn't bring up the weather. Weather still sucks. (laughs) But uh, it's not so much about the story, which is just like the first one. It's putting you in this world, and whatever you do is an adventure. Like, there's the Tanagar Canyon. I My very first playthrough, I got stuck in there for days because I just wasn't able to climb out, and I willingly didn't warp out because I wanted to see if I could figure it out. I wanted to make my own way out of the canyon. Uh, what else do you bring up there? The realism. Well, yeah. Yeah, what about it? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's funny that you bring up realism because uh, Game Theory just had this video where they compare uh, the map size of Hyrule to real life. 
and they find out that it's extremely tiny, which I thought it was funny because for so many years they've had these maps that just keep getting bigger and bigger. You're like, oh, I'm so lost. I don't know what I'll ever do. And it's gotten to the point where this world in the game is so huge that you need to step back and look at it from a real world perspective. It's a really tiny kingdom, like maybe the size of a state. Okay, and telling me that, what is that supposed to get across? The weather is absolutely insane. Like, there's no way it would rain and then lightning and then be just arid and dry, all next to a very active volcano. I mean, we live in Missouri, so we know what it's like to have that kind of weather. (laughs) I agree with you there, but uh, it just struck me as funny that they need to classify it as tiny in real-world terms, even though it's such a huge world in the game. Game Theory does a lot of things that strike me as funny, one of them involving the Pope, but that's not for this podcast. (laughs) symbolic (laughs) the horses the horses I personally never used the horses me neither I felt like with all the climbing and stuff that you have to do and all the warping there's really no point in giving you a horse and there's there's even less point sorry for interrupting you're good but there's even less point in making the horses hard to master and true to life especially if they're not even the best option also, sorry for interrupting you back there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing with the horses is, it's all an adventure. Like, this is your horse that you personally made a bond with. You went out there, you caught this horse. It is yours, and you can name it whatever you want. I named mine Butternut. <laughs> well, I guess the adventures of Lincoln Butternut are one thing to write about. Yes. Do you have anything to say about the food and cooking mechanics? The food seems pretty simple. You get, like, a base ingredient, like a piece of meat. You get, like, a silent shroom that lets you move stealthily. You cook them together, you get meat that makes you sneaky. Yeah, alright, but what about the different recipes and how they're more or less effective? If only you just had the one extra mushroom, but you didn't know that you needed that extra mushroom. I imagine at some point, if you're that into the world, somebody would tell you, or if you could just look online, list of recipes. But it's not going to change the game if you don't know how to make everything. Like, I don't know how to make rice balls, but I know they're in the game. But I did just somehow come across an NPC in Garuda Village today that, like, actually today, that told me it's uh, rice, rock salt, and a mushroom. Any mushroom. So you have to go out of your way to learn the different recipes. Well, yeah, but I didn't have a problem doing it because I'm in this world and I'm going to talk to people to figure out stuff about everything. Okay, Are we in agreement with the weather, or are we still disagreeing on that? The weather is crazy. I've yet to run into anyone that likes it, but there is something that just got pointed out recently on Reddit. Yeah? There are some areas in Hyrule Field that when it's raining, there's this big old puddle, and as the weather moves shifts on to drier daytime weather, it just evaporates. I thought that was pretty cool. I guess so, but uh, speaking of evaporation and the water cycle rain rain isn't fun it's so awful like you're always just that last reach before the top of whatever you're climbing and that's when it kicks in mm-hmm. it's like oh my gosh link literally get a grip I, <laughs> I mean it did provide a good story element for the zora part of the story like it's forcing you to find a path rather than crawl up every mountain you see yeah that was kind of interesting that was a smart use of it mm-hmm I was telling you earlier, for everyone listening, I was telling him earlier, it's it's not as though I hate the game and everything it stands for. Some of its ideas were used tactfully, 
It's just I feel like they went a little overboard. It's not like I love the game and everything it stands for. It's definitely got some very glaring problems that don't make it a 10 out of 10. I think the thing is, I was listening to some of my friends talk about it, is that a lot of the reviewers, they only gave the game 10 out of 10 because they had a blast doing the opening area for the reviews. Mm -hmm. They didn't stick the game through all the way to the end and see all the warts, so they didn't get to the part where you get bored and everything. The Yamagana Shrine. They, they didn't reach the ennui of late game Breath of the Wild. <laughs> if I can sound any more pretentious. Are you okay? Yeah, I'll work on it. Alright. Motion controls are just absolute crap, other than aiming arrows. I didn't actually have much of an experience with the motion controls, because I played the Wii U version. Mm -hmm. I felt like the controls were okay for the version I played. Mm -hmm. What was your issue with the motion controls? Well, it really depends on how you play the game, because if you just have the Joy-Con attached to the Switch, and you never take them off, those motion controls are going to be the hardest part of the game. Mm. Like, you've at least got to take them off and just move the red one, or the one with the sense... The one you hold in your right hand. I think that's the red one. Yes, but not everyone has a red and blue Switch. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. The right-hand Joy-Con. The one with the IR sensor in it. Like, that's what all the motion controls are based on. Like, if you take them off and just use that to move it around, it'll be a little easier, but it's now what, still got some... What issues. if you play with them both docked into the mini-screen? That's what I was saying. That's going to be the uh, hardest thing. Now what if you play with them both docked into the little controller thing? I imagine it would be a little easier, but you're still going to have to move the entire controller around rather than... I feel like they wouldn't have gyro controls at that point. Yeah, it treats it like it's just the Switch screen and your two little things in your hands. Mm. I think the Pro Controller is just to make it a little easier on some folks. Alright, well, this was a future point, but I'm going to get into it now, I guess, because we talked about that with you being in this world, talking to the Gerudo lady and getting cooking lessons, <laughs> is that I kind of have a bad sense of direction in games, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not ego-raptor here, I'm not going to blame the game for my shortcomings, but... <laughs> I tend to get lost in games. This is a game that's very easy to get lost in, mm -hmm. and I'm the kind of player who needs to know what to do and where to go, and it's like, okay, I'll go there. So, where is there? Uh... And then, along the way, you'll run into these nondescript-looking people, you'll talk to them, and they're like, hey, can you get me, like, ten mushrooms from all around the kingdom? And I'm like, ah, And... I gotta find this guy again after I find the mushrooms. And I'm not saying this is a specific mushroom quest, I'm just kind of creating an example out of thin air. It's just very easy to get lost. Like, the whole game is like a bunch of Easter egg hunts put together, and the 999... Just 900. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, 99 less than that. <laughs> That's much better. The 900 Korok seeds is kind of... A crystallization of that problem for me. Like, in that case, it's specifically about finding the secrets, but a lot of the times you just gotta find little bitty things in this giant world, the ultimate needle in a haystack experience. Yes, I definitely agree that they could have done that a lot better. It feels like they made the world and then just dotted stuff in it. Really? Yes, and what you told me about the random mushroom man, there is nothing saying you have to do it, but that kind of makes me feel like the Hero's Path definitely should have been a patch rather than a DLC feature. 
Oh, you're talking about the quest that led to that extra shrine you were tell- you're showing me off earlier? No, that is the champion's ballot. What I'm talking about is the hero's path. It shows you everywhere you've been in the last 200 hours of gameplay. Oh, and that was DLC? Yes. It should have been a uh, patch rather than DLC. Oh, yeah, that's that's kind of lame. Like, I didn't actually buy any of the DLC, so I didn't know about any of that. I just knew there was a motorcycle and an extra boss fight. <laughs> And he showed me that motorcycle and the extra boss fight. The music is to die for in the DLC. Uh, I'll get to the music in a bit. I feel like it's too easy to get lost and the game isn't as accessible about keeping your bearings as it could be. Like, they give you those little markers like they did in Skyward Sword, and I appreciate that, but it still feels like there's not enough. Not enough what? Not enough... Well, yeah, actually, I'm gonna lose all my gamer credibility for this, but I'm not. I'm not saying go back to Skyward Sword levels of telling me how to do everything, but just you know, a little more guidance would be appreciated. Not just here you are, have fun. Mm. But again, that comes back to everything you do in the game is an adventure. You come upon it when you come upon it. Like mm. this game is about exploring this giant world that they've put together. The story comes second to that. Well, that leads me to my next point of contention, is that the whole game is an uphill battle. Link is at the very bottom of the food chain, or at least he was for me most of the time I played the game. Doesn't every Legend of Zelda game start that way? I don't remember getting killed very much at the beginnings of other Zelda games. Ocarina of Time, young Link finds Ganon exiting Hyrule Castle. That's a cutscene. Yeah, throws him to the side. You're totally powerless against this dude. You're like, I'm supposed to beat this guy? And the whole game is about being stronger and getting to a point where you can take down this guy that just tossed you to the side. Yeah, well, the thing was, I got to the interior of my third dungeon out of the four you do in the game, and I didn't feel much stronger than I did at the start because monsters were still taking big bites out of my health. And And your swords. What about my swords? And your swords. Yeah, my durability doesn't help either, but Link is like practically made of glass, unless I want to go out of my way to try all these different recipes and find all the different pieces of clothing. I, I get that rewarding exploration is one thing, but like I feel like I'm a little punished or deprived because I'm not that kind of player. And I guess that just means that this game isn't for players who are like me, and... I can understand that, but I'm just saying that did have a bit of an effect on my experience. You think instead of throwing out all of the progress, in quotes, that they've made on the Zelda formula up to now, they should have tweaked it from Skyward Sword rather than just throwing it all out? Well, I notice in some ways they did kind of tweak the Skyward Sword formula, because you'll notice they kept the stamina meter and... They kept you with more than just three hearts, if I recall. Uh, Actually, I I don't remember that. Don't take my word for that one. Skyward Sword started you with, like, five hearts. No, I'm talking about Breath of the Wild. Oh. I I don't remember how many you start with in this one. Three. Okay. Well, yeah, if if they kind of tweaked it from Skyward Sword or Twilight Princess models, like, that would have been more preferable for me. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there is no helper monkey in this game. That's no, fine. No Navi, no Fee, no Midna. It's great, and that... Well, you get Zelda, kind of. But she's not telling you where to go and what to do. You're not being taken on a tour in this game. Well, that doesn't really relate to Link dying so easily. He's the Glass Joe of Hyrule here. 
and again, the game is about getting stronger. Okay, but when do I get stronger? Because, like I said, I'm in the third dungeon now. Well, the tutorial told you that you need to find four dun four shrines and then trade those in for more health, and that's how you get stronger. And I've been doing the hearts, and, and like the times where I upgraded stamina, I did that like twice, I think. Those killed me because I was thinking, I could have gotten hearts. You can trade them in for hearts instead. I know, but then I won't have stamina. And I, I get it, that's that's kind of a fair balance, and I'm not going to fault the game for that, but I just feel like they could have toned down the raw strength of the enemies. I feel like there are ways to demonstrate the harshness of the wilderness and what it means to overcome it without making you trip and break your face off every time. Well, I mean, like, if you go up to an enemy and he's one-shotting you, you must be thinking, wow, he's got a great weapon, and you're going to, like, sneak out around this guy, wait until night... Go take his weapon, kill him with it, and then you've got this great weapon that lasts for a while. And you're not going to use it first, like, you're going to save this for, like, the really big guy that's been whooping on you for a while. Okay, so it's a game about getting better as you go, and you were telling me that that's supposed to make the player bond with Link a little more. Mm -hmm. I should point out that, and this isn't the game's fault, this is me, but I've never really bonded with player characters before. I've always been content to just sit back and watch them go through the motions. I rarely even name them after myself, unless it's Pokemon spin-offs. Not even main Pokemon games. Mm. But that's just because I have a weird pun system in place for that. So, you feel like expanding on that anymore? Not really. I mean, Shigeru Miyamoto designed the original game to be based on himself as a kid exploring, and I think this game captures that pretty well. Yeah, I guess so. Even if I don't like it. This is one thing that's, I'll admit, it's a little more petty, but it's something that tends to jump out at me when I play games, is that there wasn't enough music. It was more ambience than anything. Yeah, and I didn't really care for that. I heard someone on a YouTube comment describe it as a cat walking across a piano. That That's a lot of the game's music. You'll climb a mountain. That's it. That's all the music you get for 20 minutes while you're playing around in the wild. I think it just kind of helps to set the scale of the game. I mean, you're alone in this great big journey and no one's helping you. And... Well, exploring isn't fun if there's, like, no... Well, it's not fun for me, I should say. It's not as fun if there's no music to kind of give me some kind of clue as to what kind of atmosphere this place has or what mood I should be feeling. It's like there's no heroic da-da-da-da, Hyrule Field music. It's just nothing. But you're also not going to be distracted by the music. You're not going to feel like you're in this artificial world where it just keeps looping and looping and looping. That's never been a problem for me, because uh, I've always wanted background music in real life. Mm -hmm. That's why I listen to music all the time whenever I leave the house, and you see me with my headphones, is because I'm listening to music because now I finally get background music. <laughs> so when there's almost no background music in a game, then it kind of bugs me. I remember when we were young playing that Nicktoons Unite game. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, there was no music, and it just kind of took me out of it. <laughs> and I know that's a weird game to compare, but that's what I think of when I think of games that didn't have music. I don't know. I kind of liked how in Nicktoons Unite, there, I know this isn't what this is supposed to be about, <laughs> but it kind of, again, it set the scene, like, this place has been destroyed, like, there's no one there, and I think the the silence gives that creepy vibe in there. Maybe sometimes, but... They could have music during other parts, though maybe they did, because I did look up some gameplay 
for an unrelated thing a few months ago, and there was music, and I'm not sure why we never heard it, but... There's more music than there is not music. Well, for what music there is, I do like what I hear. I like the Rito Village theme. I like the boss themes. I really like the music with the boss fight with the ninja. Those are what I listed as some of the favorite songs during the first episode of this. Oh, with Master Koga? Yeah. In fact, I think I was actually listening to that when you arrived earlier. It's a good one. Really kung fu (laughs) movie-esque. Well, while we're at it, you were trying to show off the music of the DLC boss fight. Yes, but I thought it was... The, the music when you're climbing the towers. Have you listened to, like, just the track? Because, like, it's got this wispy, out-in-the-distance piano, but then it's got these do-do-do-do-do that are, like, very technological. It, it brings to mind ancient technology that's been destroyed and rebuilt, and it's just this eerie kind of air. And you said it was in the shrines or the towers? The towers. Okay, I don't remember music associated with the towers. You ought to pause this. Hey, this is an intermission. Alright, we just paused for a bit. He had me listen to the tower theme. I apparently missed that because when I played the game, I was so used to a lack of music that I turned the volume down it's and... It's all ambience. It all just sets the scene so perfectly, this music. I turned the volume down because I figured I'm not missing anything anyway. And so they threw that in there under my nose without me even realizing it. <laughs> But I'll be honest, ambience, it has its moments, mm-hmm. but I honestly prefer to have scores. And as someone who really likes music and got into this podcast because of a history of talking about video game music, it kind of gives me a dearth of things to listen to in this game. Mm-hmm. So my next point, and it goes back to my overall theme, is that there's not enough that's familiar to what Zelda has become over the years. You did make the case that it's trying to get people who play Zelda now into the first game, and I do see a lot of the similarities to the first game, but I like what the series has done since, say, A Link to the Past, and how they've evolved it from there and Ocarina of Time and onward, and they're also missing a lot of the things that make Zelda Zelda to me, like, almost all the characters, I don't feel like they're Zelda characters. You run into the shopkeeper f- who was introduced in Wind Waker a few times. Beetle. Yeah, you run into him. There's no postman, there's no gravedigger, there's no tingle, though a lot of people would actually like that there's no tingle. Yeah, because this is, again, a post-apocalyptic world. They, there's no, they haven't set up the infrastructure to have a mailman yet. Like, these are just merchants that are wandering around on their own two feet. If you want to send a message, you gotta do it yourself. Wind Waker didn't seem to have that problem. Yeah, because there were... There's no infrastructure in Breath of the Wild. I mean, Wind Waker was also post-apocalyptic, if you think about it. Yes, but there's more of a society in place. And there's also a lot of missing... I mean, okay, I get what you're saying, but I feel like it doesn't really stand tall as an argument because of Wind Waker. Well, you can't go blaming me for laziness on Nintendo's part. I'm not like, trying okay, to blame Okay, in this you. one, there's a flooded world, but these people decided, okay, I'm just gonna fly mail everywhere. In this one, you can just... It, you know what? There are Rito in this game, too. Why aren't they delivering the mail? Because they're so mean. They just don't want to. Make everyone else do it. I mean, I guess if Rivali is any indication... 
Yeah. Oh, they, they're so mean that they, his only tribute is a landing platform. Meanwhile, the Zoras are still crying over Meath. The Gerudos, they still look up to Ubersa. I didn't get to the Gorons yet, but Rivali is like, yeah, you get a front porch named after you. Have fun. Well, I imagine the Rito's lifespan is significantly shorter than, say, uh, Zora's. Because a hundred years have passed and all Sidon did was grow up. Yeah, that's kind of weird that they introduced that feature to the Zoras in this game. That doesn't seem like a fish-like thing. That they live forever? Yeah, like... You know how long whales live? Whales are not fish. Zoras aren't fish. They're they're more fish-like than whale-like. They're more fish-like than people-like. Guess. I mean, I, I can see Gorons being long-lived. Mm. Since they're rocks. Rocks are kind of associated with not changing. Mm. Uh, but that that's kind of a side thing. The, the Zora thing doesn't actually bother me. Going back to the lack of familiar things, a lot of the monsters are missing too. Like the Tektites, or the Disembodied Hands... I guess technically Stalfos are missing, but they make skeleton versions of other monsters. It's kind of a weird crossover. It's just, they cut down severely on the amount of different monsters you fight, and then they just give them all a few coats of paint and call them more monsters. They don't call them more monsters, they call them more difficult monsters. Like, there's a scale, red, blue, white gold. Okay, but I still miss a lot of the enemies, and another thing I like in games is a wide variety of monsters to go up against. This is about maybe less than a dozen different types of monsters. Yeah, but I'm okay with that. Because they introduced a new monster with different kinds of variations, like, there's a different there's a lot of different kinds of guardians. Like, there's the little ones that rock around, there's the pillar that's just a... See, I just count all those as guardians. <sighs> but you really shouldn't, they're so different. Yeah, you deal with them differently, but the I count them as different as much as I count the different color choo-choos as different. Oh, that's not right. I mean, they're, they're the same thing. They're just slightly different. They're the same way in the way that bokoblins and moblins are the same. I guess you have a point with that, but I still feel like they should have had more of the classical Zelda. Like, there aren't even any like-likes. The last time a Lionel was in a game was a really long time ago. It was A Link Between Worlds. Before that. Well, I mean, it wasn't that long ago then, because they were in A Link Between Worlds. Anyway, but they're uh, yeah, starting it, to crack open the history books, trying to get some of those older monsters in here. Yeah, and that, that's actually kind of neat. I mean, the Hinox, that was in Triforce Heroes. That wasn't that long ago either. Hmm. And before Triforce Heroes, it was A Link Between Worlds again, because Triforce Heroes recycled a lot from there. And I appreciate them using some of the more classical monsters, but they missed some spots, is what I'm saying. They probably got to a point where they just felt that their bestiary was just so oversaturated they wanted to drain the swamp a bit. I mean, again, this is post-apocalyptic, and Zelda's holding back a lot of Ganon's power, so I imagine if there were a place for the, these Tektites and these Wallmasters, then it would be in Hyrule Castle, but Zelda's holding on as best she can guess so. Well, that about covers most of my complaints with the game, actually. I don't really feel much better about it, but it is good to get an extra perspective on things. Mm. You agree that it's not total trash, and I agree that it's not gold. Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm, I'm not a cartoon character. <laughs> so, we've pretty much said all that we need to say about Breath of the Wild, I guess, mm -hmm. is that I didn't really like it as much as I wanted to, you liked it just fine. Not as much as I wanted to. Really? Yeah. But I already brought that up with, like, the motion controls and whatnot. 
I feel like I had more problems with it than you did, though. Oh, definitely. Since I was taking the negative side of the debate. But if this is even a debate, it's really more like we just kind of... We started talking about Nicktoons Unite at one point. The game that three people played. (laughs) Two of them being us. Oh, wherever you are out there, reach out. Make sure we know who you are. Yeah. So, I guess that about does it. It's good to talk about Breath of the Wild in an episode that doesn't have jumpy audio. Maybe I should bring in guests to talk about more of those early episode games. (laughs) Anthony, before you go, is there anything you'd like to plug or talk about or anything like that? Uh, Stop making fun of gas station clerks. They do a lot of hard work. Yeah, yeah, be nice to your retail workers. Specifically gas station (laughs) clerks. Yeah, and if you're a manager at those kinds of places, it's not the apocalypse if one little order goes wrong. Dab on them haters. I'm not gonna dab, I'm gonna do the Kepasa Neng thing. And if anyone knows what that is, good job. Alright, that was another episode of the BitCast. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing and sharing it with your friends. You can also find these episodes on iTunes, and I will see you on the next one. Bye. Listen to BitCast anytime on podcast1.com and on the Podcast One app.